Hebrews chapter 7. What a, a great chapter. We've, we've mentioned Melchizedek in chapter 5. We've mentioned Melchizedek in chapter 6, but I didn't want to get into it because chapter 7 really deals with Melchizedek. So I've been holding off, and I've had a lot of people say, when are you going to talk about Melchizedek? And we had it in chapter 5. We had it in chapter 6. I said, go to chapter 7, and you'll see why. So um, this is a, a, a great portion of Scripture, a controversial portion of Scripture where scholars differ, but uh, we're going to get into it today and see where the Holy Spirit leads us. Amen? So let's look at, we're going to be doing Hebrews chapter 7, but you know what? Let's back it up to uh, the end of chapter 6. Go back to verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 19. It says this, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, speaking of Jesus Christ, both sure, that's a guarantee, and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. And we ask that you would open our eyes to your word, Lord God. Minister to our hearts, Lord. We want to be more like you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled the message, A Superior Priesthood. A Superior Priesthood. We see that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He did the finished work on the cross. He paid for our sins. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And he is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a priest forever. It is a superior priesthood. And this is the message that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get to the, to the Hebrew Christians to understand because they were being pressured to go back under the law. And so everything that we're going to talk about today in this chapter is the writer, who I believe is Paul, is targeting the fact that the old Levitical priesthood was not as good as the Melchizedek priesthood. Jesus being our high priest after the order of Melchizedek is a better priesthood because it lasts forever. And so he's trying to encourage these guys because to the Jews, they would say, how could Jesus Christ be the high priest if he's not from the tribe of Levi? Because you had to be from the tribe of Levi to be a priest. And so he's going to make that point here that he's under a different order of priesthood, not the Levitical priesthood, but the order of Melchizedek, which is better. And so the pressure that was coming upon these Jewish Christians was to go back 
to the old ways. We go back to uh, the law. And you and I, as being believers in Jesus Christ, we are no longer under the law. We are dead to the law because Christ put an end to the law. He fulfilled the law at the cross. We're no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And we're saved by faith through grace in what Jesus Christ did. Praise the Lord. And these Jewish Christians, these new believers, were being pressured to go back to the old ways, to back to sacrifices, back to uh, the Sabbath, and back to all these rules and regulations. And that pressure was coming upon them because there were similarities to Christianity with Judaism because Christianity came out of Judaism. So there's similarities there. But the pressure was coming from the community to get them to go back to sacrificing for sin and to go back to the Sabbath and other things because in that culture in Jerusalem and in other places, if you became a Christian, your family turned their back on you. They pronounced you as dead to them. And they don't want to see you anymore. And it would cut you off from doing, you know, doing transactions in the marketplace. You would lose your business. You wouldn't be able to buy or sell. So you were ostracized. And so that pressure was coming in on them. So they started to buckle and start to do a little Judaism, a little Christianity. And God's going to say to you, get on one side or the other. There's no... There's no middle ground here we're not compromising we're not going to be uh, doing the things of the law because the law was its all purpose was just to point you to the cross to the messiah that you have sins and the law was to convince you of his sins it was our schoolmaster that when you looked at the law you said wow i can't measure up and that's why you need jesus and so he's presenting this case of, of a superior priesthood and he mentions to them this melchizedek who is Melchizedek? And he brings this up that Abraham, because all the Jewish people looked at Abraham as the father of all the nations of Israel, of all, of all the Jews. He was the father. Abraham, they always, the big thing for them was to say, you know, we are of Abraham. We are of Father Abraham. That was a huge thing. It was all about genealogy to them. Because it started with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons with the 12 tribes. So it's all about genealogy. And Abraham was considered the father of all. So we see that Abraham has this interaction with Melchizedek. And if you want to go all the way back to Genesis, go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 14. We'll take a look at that, what happened. Because crazy thing about this Melchizedek, is the fact that he just comes out of nowhere. And he's there for like four verses and then he disappears. And you don't even hear about him for a thousand years. And then a long time after that, we hear about him in Hebrews and that's it. So in Genesis chapter 14, let me set the stage here. Um, Abraham... And Lot, Lot was Abraham's nephew. 
Lot had a lot of people. Abraham had a lot of people. It was getting too much to bear. They had too many people. There was arguments that were happening between each group. And so Abraham says, listen, you pick one way and I'll go the other way. You pick this direction and I'll go the opposite direction. And so Lot looks around and he's looking at the desert and it's just dirt and it's desolate. It's a wilderness. But then he looks over and he sees green and lush Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the Vegas of the day. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, all kinds of immorality. It was like this, this full uh, Vegas-type atmosphere in the middle of the desert. And he goes, I'm going to go that way. And so he went that way. And after time, the five kings that surrounded the area of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, decided they were no longer going to uh, pay tribute to the four kings in the north after Chedorlaomer. And so they said, listen, we're tired of paying you. We're not going to pay you anymore. And so the four kings in the north said, that's it. We're going to have a war. So they come down and they slaughter the, the kings of the south of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they slaughter the people and they take a bunch of people captive and they take all the spoils. And somebody escapes and gets to Abraham and says, Abraham, there was this huge battle and they took your nephew Lot. And so Abraham put together 318 of his servants and went after these four kings of the north, and, and God gave him the victory. He took them out with just 318 guys, took all the spoils, and got back Lot. And on the way back from the battlefield, he's intercepted by this Melchizedek. And we can pick it up in Genesis 14, verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him, speaking of Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, speaking of Abraham, gave him a tithe of everything that he had that he got from the spoils of war. Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. We have four verses and he disappears. And we never hear from him again until a thousand years later where King David, the psalmist, in Psalm 110, verse 4, says this, The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So King David makes a prophetic statement here about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying here in Hebrews that this was a fulfillment in Jesus Christ, the very scriptures that David wrote in Psalm 110. So why was the order of Melchizedek better than the Levitical order? Well, number one, because of Melchizedek's position. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7 of Hebrews. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Melchizedek was better because of his position. He was not just a priest. He was a king and priest. He was superior. 
Now, according to the law and the Levitical priesthood, when the law was established, no priest was allowed to be a king. No king was allowed to be a priest. A king could be a king and a prophet. A priest could be a priest and a prophet. But no priest or no king could be both king and priest. So that's what makes Melchizedek better. He held a position some four or five hundred years before the law had even come about. And Abraham recognized him as being superior and paid tribute to him and tithed to him a tenth of all of his spoils. So the question is, is who is Melchizedek? That's, that's the question that's been in controversy for centuries between good scholars. And there's two main ideas of who Melchizedek is. And one is that he is a type of Jesus Christ, that he is not Jesus Christ, but a type. And the other one is that this is an actual appearance, a Christophany of an appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Which is it? Well, good scholars differ. Those who believe that Melchizedek is a type, if you know about typology, uh, it just means that it is a reflection of someone that we're speaking of. It, for an example, when Abraham took Isaac up Mount Moriah to offer him to the Lord, and Isaac was carrying the wood, and they had the torch, and they were headed up the mountain, and God wanted to see the obedience of Abraham to do this very thing, though he wasn't going to let him do it. But we saw that Abraham then became a type of the father, Isaac became a type of Jesus Christ. The wood on Isaac's back became a type of the cross as they went up the very same place where our Lord would be uh, crucified years and years later. So a type. My personal opinion, and you may disagree, and if you disagree that you're in good company because there's good scholars that are on both sides. My personal opinion is that this is a Christophany that is an appearance of Jesus Christ. You may not agree with me. You may think it's a typology. I believe it's a Christophany. That's my opinion. But whether you believe it's a type of Christ or it's actually Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter because the point that the, the writer is trying to make here is that the priesthood after Melchizedek is superior to the Levitical priesthood. That's the point that he's trying to make here. And I believe that this is Jesus because Jesus does appear in the Old Testament. And we see that in Joshua. He appears. I believe we see it in Daniel. I see it in Abraham with Abraham in Genesis 17 and 18. And so I believe that this is an appearance of Jesus Christ. And because if you look at the name Melchizedek, it's really a title. Melk means king. Isedek means righteousness. Melchizedek, king of righteousness. Who's our king of righteousness? Jesus Christ. Who's the king of peace? Jesus, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. In John 8:56, when Jesus is talking to 
the uh, religious leaders, he's having an argument. They're saying that he's demonic and he's half Samaritan and they get in this argument and stuff and they're saying like, we're, we're, of the, we're the father of Abraham, we're of Abraham's descendants and he's like saying, if you were, you would have known me and loved me and they're arguing about their genealogy and Jesus says this in John eight fifty six: your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. I think he was making it a reference to this very time on the battlefield. That's my personal opinion. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. And then the religious leader said to Jesus, well, how can that be? You're not even 50. And you say you saw Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. Another thing I want you to look at for that reason is to check out these qualities that Melchizedek had, look at verse 3. It says Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So his position didn't depend on a genealogy like the Levitical priesthood. In order to be a priest, you had to be born into the tribe of Levi. You were born into the priesthood. You weren't called into it like Melchizedek. You had to be a Levi. You had to have Levi genes. And Jesus Christ's position as high priest was a calling and an oath. And it had no beginning and no ending, the Levitical priesthood, the priest would die into ministry. But Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and his ministry is forever. He's a great high priest. The Levitical priesthood had a starting point and an ending point. A priest would start at 30, and when they died, their ministry was over. And so that's what makes the order of Melchizedek superior. Now, as we look at verses 4 through 10, we're also going to see the preeminence of Melchizedek over Abraham and over the Levites. Look at verse uh, 4. Now, consider how great this man was, speaking of Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Now what we notice there is in verse 4, we understand the superiority of Melchizedek as king and priest that he gave a tenth of all he had and so understanding, Abraham knew that Melchizedek was greater. When we get to verse 5, we see that the Levites were commanded by God to receive tithes from the people, but it says they're brethren, so the Levites weren't superior to the people that tithed to them. They were equal. They were brethren. They were not greater than the people they received the tithes from. They were on equal ground. And the Levites were equal to all the other 12 
tribes. So the difference from Melchizedek and, and the Levitical priesthood was Melchizedek was greater and superior to Abraham, thus making him superior also to the tribe of Levi and the Levitical priests. Interesting, interesting. In verse 6 it says, But he whose, whose genealogies is not derived from them, so he speaks of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, whose genealogy is not derived from them, the Levitical priests, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. And so the writer of Hebrews tells them that Abraham was the lesser who was blessed by Melchizedek, who was superior and better. So to put it in simplest terms, Melchizedek's better than Abraham. Abraham the lesser received blessings from the greater Melchizedek. And in verse 8, we're going to see that the writer, like a good lawyer, starts to bring his point to silence the skeptics. He's putting that final nail in to really bring this home and rock their world with this particular truth. Look at verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. Of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And so here he speaks of the Levitical system. There speaks before. He shows that Melchizedek's preeminence over them, not only to Abraham, but to the Levitical priesthood. Because he's saying in God's eyes, the Levitical priesthood was present when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek because they were in the loins of Melchizedek. And you said, well, wait a minute, they weren't even born yet. So how can that be? And I'll, I'll use another version to make it very clear to you. In a different version, it says, for although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was in Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected tithes from him. So in God's eyes, the Levitical priesthood was present when Abraham paid tithes because the tribe of Levi was in the loins of Abraham. Does that make sense? Okay. So we see a lot of talk about tithing and tithing and a tenth and all these things. And we see it mentioned six times. What is tithing? Tithing means tenth. Tithing means giving 10%. God commanded His people to give 10% of what they earn. So if uh, you made $100, then 10 would be the Lord's. And so like when someone says to me, I'll pay you 100 bucks, all I hear is I get 90 because I know 10 is the Lord. Now that's hard for some people who say, well, listen, I worked hard for that money. That's my money. That's the problem. When you give, it shows who's superior in your life. When you don't give, it shows that Jesus is not superior in your life. And Jesus 
gives us a pretty fair shake. Lord, I need to borrow 100 bucks. I'll pay you back this week. He says, that's okay, just give me 10. That's a pretty good deal. But you might say, listen, uh, you know, I only made 300 this week and I'm living at home. I can't afford the tithe. I go, listen, that's only $30. You, you pay more for dinner. It's a pretty good deal. God's fair. And what you've got to remember is this, is God says if you give sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you give abundantly, you will reap abundantly. God loves a cheerful giver. He says, listen, if you're not going to be cheerful and this upsets you to talk about this kind of stuff, he'll just say, keep it. Just keep it. God loves a cheerful giver. And he calls us to give. And you can't outgive God. Bottom line, he challenges us in that respect. Check this out. Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have I robbed you? He says, in tithes and offerings. What's tithes and offerings? A tithe is 10%. An offering is above and beyond a tithe. Okay? He says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Listen to what God says. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive it. Wow! God said that? And sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, if God gave it to me, then I'd give. Listen, if you're not faithful when you have little, you won't be faithful when you have a lot. When someone tells me, you know, if I had more, if God just gave me more, then I'd give. I said, well, maybe the reason God's not giving it to you is because God can't give through you. And then I talk to people who say, well, you know what? That's, that's, that's the law. Giving a tenth is under the law. And, and God tells us in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that, you know, let us all give what we purpose in our hearts. And that tithing doesn't appear in the New Testament pertaining to the church. And, and, and that's true. You don't, you don't hear anywhere where it says uh, that you know, the church give a tenth every week, but the implication of giving is still there, and it is understood, though it doesn't say tithe. And then people will use that verse saying, we give however we purpose in our heart. I feel like giving a dollar. That's all I want to give. And you know what? That's between you and God. That's between you and God. But you cannot use those verses to say that the church body doesn't have to give if they don't want to. God asks us to give, to trust Him, to further the mission while we're here. And when those people say, well, you know, tithe doesn't appear in the New Testament and we are only to give according to however we feel like giving and they use 2 Corinthians 9 to, to present their case, you need to understand something. They're taking 2 Corinthians 9 out of context of what Paul is saying. Paul wasn't even talking about weekly giving. Paul was talking about a love offering 
for the church in Jerusalem, for the first church, the church in Jerusalem was hurting financially. And Paul said, I want to take up a love offering from the Gentile church to show our love for the original church that started in Jerusalem and bless them because they're suffering financially. And so what Paul did was he went to Corinth and he told them first, we want to get up a love offering. This was not to interfere with their weekly giving. He said this was going to be something above and beyond your weekly giving. Tithing is your weekly thing. An offering is something above and beyond your giving to the church. You want to help a mission. You want to help a radio ministry or someone in the, in the neighborhood or something like that. And so Paul was saying this shouldn't interfere with your weekly giving. This is something, this is a love offering. And, and that love offering is to help this church. But what happened was that he said when, when Paul told the church that was in Macedonia and Achaia that they were going to do a love offering and the Corinthians were really excited about giving to that. All the other churches in the area of Macedonia and Achaia said, listen, we're on board. What, Corinth's on board? We're on board. And he says, I boasted about you in your, your saying that you were on board to give, but now it's been a year later and you still haven't done it. And so we're coming through, and I want you to collect that love offering for Jerusalem before we get there so you don't embarrass us when we get there. And that because you didn't give and you didn't have it ready and make us ashamed because we boasted about you to the church at large. And you yourself will be ashamed because everybody will know that you didn't keep your word. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 is all about. And he says this in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, But this I say, who gives sparingly will also reap sparingly, and who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiently in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So some people will say, well, we're not under the law. Tithing was the law, and we're not under the law. And you're right, we're not under the law. Then what are we under? If we're not under the Levitical priesthood, what priesthood are we under? Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. Why? Because of the finished work on the cross, a superior priesthood. So if you, say, if you say we don't have to tithe because we're not under the law and you understand that you're under the, the order of Melchizedek, then we go all the way back to Genesis 14 to Abraham, who is not a Jew. There was no Israel yet. There was no the law. There was no Ten Commandments yet. That wasn't going to happen for hundreds of years later. And Abraham paid a tenth of all that he had. And then we see Melchizedek break out bread and wine. Bread and wine. That, what's, does that ring a bell in your head? Bread and wine. Communion. The first time that we see communion spoken of in the Bible, we know that later on, Jesus would institute that communion with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we do every month in remembrance of the Lord. Amen? So if Jesus Christ is after the order of Melchizedek, that means he is greater than Abraham. That means he's greater than the Levitical priesthood. That makes Jesus Christ's priesthood the best. Case closed. 
<laughs> so the question to the Hebrew Christians is, why would you want to go back to something that's not as good? If Jesus Christ's priesthood under the order of Melchiz after the order of Melchizedek forever is superior, he's saying, why would you want to go back under the law which is inferior? That's the real question he's trying to express to these Hebrew Christians. And now he will present these questions to him that if the Levitical priesthood was perfect, then why did it need to be replaced? And the answer is, is because the Levitical priesthood was insufficient. The Levitical priesthood could not do what Jesus Christ did. See, when they offered up sacrifice, when you brought a lamb, when you brought a sacrifice for your sins, that sacrifice only covered your sin. It did not remove your sin. It was a foreshadow looking forward to the Messiah coming, Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice once and for all. So under the Levitical priesthood, a sacrifice could only cover your sin, but under Jesus Christ, He removes your sin. And that's the good news. In verse 11 through uh, 19, we read, Therefore, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there another priesthood of another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of a necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things were spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which the tribe of Moses spoke nothing concerning his priesthood. And it is yet the more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of the fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. A better covenant. The new covenant. The new covenant had to replace the old covenant because the old covenant under the law couldn't fulfill what Jesus Christ did for us. It only covered sin. It never took away sin. And so there had to be a change. It's what it's saying. Because under the law it was insufficient. The law was foreshadowing what was coming. It was just a foreshadow of Jesus Christ and what He was going to do when He showed up. So Jesus Christ's priesthood is greater and superior because His ministry never ends. That's the key. The Levites' ministry had a start and it had a finish. They died. Jesus died for our sins on the cross, rose from the dead, and lives forever. His priesthood is everlasting. In the Levitical priesthood, you had to be in the genealogy of Levi to be a priest. You had to be in that line. But in Jesus Christ's ministry, 
has no genealogy, genealogy, has no beginning and end. He was not born into it like the, the, the Levites were, but it was a calling upon his life, an appointment, an oath, a promise of God. And for us, verse 19 says it all, Jesus Christ is a better hope for which we draw near to God. And now he's going to prove what he's saying with a guarantee as we look at verses 20 through 25 that we have a guarantee by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. All right. I don't think you got that. We have a guarantee by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. His promises are yes and amen. Look at verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests with an oath, he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety, a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Can you say amen? amen? Therefore, he also is able to save to the uttermost who came to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Woo! Amen. I, I love it. You know what I love about Jesus Christ? He's unchangeable. If he says he loves you, guess what? He loves you. If he says the Father has the same love for you as he has for Jesus Christ, that means what it says. If God says he's going to get you to the finish line, guess what? He's going to get you to the finish line. If he says I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he's never leaving you nor forsaking you. The promises of God are amen. Yes and amen. He is unchangeable. He's not going to say, you know what? I really loved you, Mitch, for a while, but you know what? The last couple of weeks... Eh, go to hell. He's not going to do that to you. Philippians 1.6 says he promises, be confident that this, of this very thing, that he that begun the good work in you will complete it. Who's going to complete it? He's going to complete it. That's a promise to God. He is unchangeable. We have a guarantee of everlasting life. Why? Because he said it. Because he performed it on the cross. He paid for our sins. He rose from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he says, I'm coming back from my church. And I've gone to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you will come unto me. I am so excited about that because I think it's soon. And those promises are yes and amen. And we're going to be with him. And we're going to get new bodies. Woo! Woo! Amen. I like that. That excites me. But I want to share something else. Not only do we have a guarantee by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, not only does it say He saves to the uttermost, that means completely, but I want to look what it says after that. Look at verse 25. It says, Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost, no matter what, those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now let's stop and think about this. Jesus Christ, right now, is making intercession for you. 
Come on. Think about that for a minute. You know how wonderful it is when somebody comes up to you and they say, you know what, I've been praying for you. And you're like, wow, what a, thank you. I mean, what a blessing when someone tells you they're praying for you. But when Jesus says, I'm praying for you. Okay, I thought you'd get a little more excited than that. When Jesus says, I'm praying for you. Here's why that it's exciting. Because think about it. I got to bet his prayers get answered. He's making intercession for you and for me. And he's going to get us to the finish line. So let's wrap this up. Let's look at verse uh, 25 or 26. It says, For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, means innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those other high priests who offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's sin. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Amen. Hallelujah. The worship team would come forward, Austin. I am so grateful that Jesus is praying for me every day. Because I tell you what, this this whole week I was I just it hit it hit me. I never thought of this before. Jesus is praying for me. I mean, I knew that, but you know what? It never hit me was that I, I had to say, I bet his prayers get answered. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I can't get my head around it. Because I, I see myself as just, loser. I mean, I make mistakes all the time. But he loves me anyway. I fail. I blow it. And I think, wow, I can't believe I just did that. I, I promised I would never do that again. I didn't take him by surprise. See, the moment you gave your life to him, he forgave you of all your sin, not only from the past, but from the present and the future. He's already seen all your mistakes for next week. And he says, I love you anyway. Isn't that a great God? Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you and praise you for your promises. We thank you, man. You're praying for us right now. Interceding, Lord God. Giving us strength. Filling us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we just ask for strength for today, Lord God, and divine appointments. And, and that people around this time of year, as they think about Christmas, they would think about the reason for the season, Christ. Mas. I look at it as Christ Mas, more Jesus, Spanish. We need more of you, Lord. Lord, I know you're coming soon, and we know that um, time's running out. So would you put the urgency on everyone's heart here to get in the game? however they can, 
to just yield and allow you to work in them and through them. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I think we just explained what He did. He died on the cross for you. Paid for your sins. And all you got to do is put your faith and trust in Him, our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is forever. If that's you today and you've never given your life to the Lord, I, I want you to pray in your heart right now and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so I'm asking you right now, save me in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God. Now go on and live in victory knowing that our God, our Creator, our Lord and Savior is praying for you without ceasing. Amen? Amen. Please stand.